Welcome to Cleveland Clinic Cardiac Consult, brought to you by the Seidel and Arnold Miller Family Heart, Vascular, and Thoracic Institute at Cleveland Clinic. Welcome to the Lead Connection podcast, where we talk about everything related to lead management. I'm Tom Callahan, and I'm joined by Dr. Bruce Wilkoff, one of the founders of Lead Connection, Dr. John Anthony, who's section head of occupational and contact dermatology at Cleveland Clinic, and uh, Dr. Jim Taylor, clinical professor of dermatology at uh, Cleveland Clinic Learner College of Medicine. Welcome, everyone. Thank you. Thank you. It's very difficult to predict who's going to have these reactions, and then it's very difficult to confirm the diagnosis. Um, So a, a lot of challenges here, but how about treatment? So let's say we, we're pretty confident that this patient has a, um, has a reaction. Uh, is there at least good news on the treatment front? This is also a frontier because when you look at treatment of metal allergies, there's, there's a lot written about incidence and, and a lot of these devices are explanted, how it makes it into the paper. You know, we had this problem, we explanted the patient got better, it must have been the device. The only treatments that are really described are, are steroids. So but that's sort of suboptimal. If you're going to leave a device in, how long are you going to need to treat with steroids to enable the patient to tolerate it? I, I think that's not necessarily the best option for a lot of our patients. So there are probably sporadic case reports using a variety of things like there's one report of a reaction to a, a nickel-containing stent that responded to dupilumab. Um, so that it at least suggests possibly if moving forward, but that's an off-label use, of course, single report. I think that in the orthopedic uh, realm, I have tried, although I haven't seen many patients and I really can't report on how effective it's been, but you know, when the patient doesn't want to have their joint explanted, but they're, they seem to be allergic, I've tried some other immunosuppressives. And I think we see maybe some early results that 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 could be useful. So I don't know if that's generalizable. And of course, those have their own downsides. You have to have a patient who's willing to keep their implant where the the explantation is like not a great option for them. And if there's not a great alternative device, then maybe trying some of these anti-rheumatologics immunosuppressives might be might be useful. Jim, I don't know if you have any, any thoughts. Oh, or Bruce, I don't know. Yeah, no, no. I said, are you talking like methotrexate or are you talking about, what, what are you talking about in terms uh, of suppressives? Methotrexate is, is something that we in Durham have a, a fair amount of experience with in our psoriasis patients. So that would be a probably a starting point for some patients. If you know, mycophenolate mofetil would potentially be an option, although, again, none of these have really been studied, so I really can't say how effective they might be, but in that those patients where the explantation is just not a great option or you know, because of other patient factors, I, I think we should be open to, to at least offering some of these for our patients. To, to go back to the um, question of, of nickel, um, it, one, one interesting thing is that uh, uh, in addition to the hypersensitivity that we see, which if, if it's, it's which is typically delayed, it could also can be immediate. So urticarial reactions have been reported. And in, in regarding in regard to the delayed hypersensitivity or allergic contact dermatitis, 
Um, systemic nickel allergy has been reported in some cases, and it's been shown that actually in, in some studies that if you have uh, orthodontia prior to uh, ear piercing, that your, your probability of nickel allergy is less. And in, in, in some of the cases um, with systemic reactions to these devices, low nickel diets have been reported. Uh, and the use of chelating agents such as EDTA, and uh, which I personally have not used, and any other is disulfiram, which is used for uh, treating alcoholism, which is a rubber-related uh, uh, substance that produces, you know, reaction if you drink alcohol. That has been that has been used again in in some cases with nickel allergy, especially if you've got a systemic reaction to nickel where you've got uh, a disseminated rash, or you have what we call dyshidrosis or vesicles or blisters on the palms that can be uh, helped by uh, a low nickel diet. And there's nickel in f specific foods and uh, more so in others. And, and it, that's well documented and well published. So. Let me ask a, a question here. So it's my perception that nickel allergy is very common uh, and that so from this discussion, we might be very worried about it if allergy is vanishingly rare, right? So I mean, allergy to a device, yet every single pacemaker lead, defibrillator lead is an alloy, which includes uh, nickel. The nickel actually provides the flexibility into the, the uh, into, I, I once had a patient that we were convinced to had a nickel allergy that was causing a problem or thought it was. And I had a pacemaker lead made for me that had no nickel in it. They, they, and But the problem was, is that if you took the lead and you bent it, it stayed that way. It wouldn't spring, it, it's no longer a spring, it becomes, and so, and it worked. I couldn't have an active fixation lead. I, I, I got it to work and the person did well, but at the end of one. So if you could talk about what is the incidence of significant nickel allergy? And then we can talk about what I'm going to tell you is a vanishingly rare uh, type of thing of uh, an allergy that could manifest from uh, an implantable device. Could you talk about that a little bit? Well, nickel allergy in the general population is, com is common, uh, and it varies uh, prevalence of you know, large uh, groups of patients that are routinely patch tested for dermatitis of any kind, uh, putative allergic contact dermatitis from, from anything, series will show that anywhere from 15 to 25% of patients that are patch tested are allergic to have positive reactions to nickel. And then when you consider the other more common allergens, so cobalt would be next and would be lower, maybe 10% uh, and then we get into chrome, maybe 5% or so. And then the other allerg then the other metals are are clearly much less. So uh, it's really common in in people, yeah. but obviously that doesn't translate to a risk of of a device. C correct. And it what what I was going to say it's it's not the content that's important. Well, as as much as the release that's important, and that's been uh, well documented with the Amplatzer devices, for instance, and related devices used for pain for aminal valley and atrial septal defect uh, occlusion. Uh, and their devices now that are have much less nickel release 
and apparently are, are used in, in instead. So again, it's the release and not the and not the content as much. So, uh, and and with orthopedic devices, I mean, it's been well documented that uh, patients with many patients with nickel allergy don't have you know problems uh, uh, long term in Europe, uh, and we try to encourage it here in the United States to not do routine pre-op. PATS testing unless there is a definite history of uh, uh, nickel allergy. John? A, a couple of points too. I mean, I think we all know that uh, patient self-report of metal allergy is not a great reliable indicator. It doesn't correlate very well with patch testing results. So we always, it, it, it's something that we need to consider, but it, it doesn't always indicate, it's probably not sufficient to, to diagnose. And and really, Bruce, this is the crux of the problem, right? How do you predict who is going to have a problem with the device? And and to to date, I don't think we know. We know that occasionally people do. So the presence of a nickel allergy patch test positive probably increases your risk of complication, but it doesn't mandate a risk. It doesn't suggest that you will have a problem. This applies to other cardiac and neurologic devices that that are composed, especially the, like the Amplatzer that's nitinol. So sometimes you're, you have a documented metal allergy, like nickel, and you know that a device contains it. And so you're, people come to me and they're like, can I have this Taver done? Can I have this Amplatzer done? The counseling has to be, well, okay, so you probably have an increased risk of a complication, which might be systemic and might possibly be treatable or might require explantation. But what's the alternative? And the alternative is sometimes not too pretty. You know, do you have a TAV or do you have an open valve replacement? And and for some patients, the, the choice is so far weighted towards having the TAVR done that probably the risk out is is outweighed, even though if you read the, the packaging, it says, you know, don't use this device if if there's an allergy to a component, I I feel like that's the crux of the problem. And that's why, unfortunately, when I'm having these discussions with patients, I know Jim is the same. We we always couch in terms of these aren't absolute contraindications. They have to be considered within the context of what are the risks of of not having a procedure done or the alternatives. Does I think that makes I mean, sense. I think that's the most. I agree with you. That's that's the real question that we have. You know, afterwards is one problem, but how do you counsel patients who think they're allergic to things and and thoughts are very strong? <laughs> they 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 dominate our our interactions with our patients, uh, and it's a very important issue. Thank you. Right. Yeah. And and very often for you know pacemakers and defibrillators, there there really isn't another option you know for patients for with complete heart block for instance it's you know the, the only option really is the pacemaker so it, it can be a challenge well this was a great conversation i want to thank both of you for uh, dr uh, taylor and dr anthony for joining us uh, really insightful thank you so much for your time and, and insights thank you so much i appreciate the opportunity likewise thank you tom all right uh, until Bruce. next time bye-bye thank you for listening We hope you enjoyed the podcast. We welcome your comments and feedback. 
please contact us at heart at ccf.org. Like what you heard? Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts or listen at clevelandclinic.org slash cardiac consult podcast.